I had a blast. I felt a lot of things awakening in me that had been slumbering. Um, and I, over the years, had forgotten that I'm really weird, but I remembered quickly this week. Um, <laughs> and and I, saw, I saw a lot of us um, getting freed up to be completely ourselves, and a lot of anointing and fragrance and new life was being released um, in our lives because of it. Um, <clears throat> okay. Uh, something I was feeling during worship is that we're entering a season, and some of us have entered a season of, of stripping and flogging. And I know that sounds like a really uplifting word. <laughs> what the Lord was showing me is that you know, when, when Jesus was stripped and beaten and flogged, many times we think, oh, that, that jerk, the enemy, is beating my Lord. Can't, I can't believe he's getting away with this. The enemy is killing, you know, my Jesus and hurting him. But guys, it was the Father's good pleasure to crush the Son. He was letting him out. Every, every stripe that he took was releasing the real deal, the full power, releasing the new covenant, releasing the Holy Spirit. He was getting out of that tent. And we're entering into Acts chapter 5, where the apostles were dragged before the Sanhedrin and, and Gamaliel's council, and they were beaten. And guys, they counted they counted it an honor that they were able to suffer shame for Jesus' sake. And right now, many of us are in a season where we are suffering shame for Jesus' sake. He's counting you worthy. And you're releasing the kingdom. You're partnering with, with Jesus right now in the stripping, in the beating, in the stripes, and the kingdom is getting out. <clears throat> Yay. <laughs> um, last week, I spoke on, uh, I talked about mercy, and I'm going to continue speaking on mercy today, but we covered how Jesus uh, recognized that um, <clears throat> we don't know what spirit we're of sometimes, and we also don't know what we're doing, which is where his mercy is hidden and empowered. And uh, this week, I want to continue in that, in that vein, but hopefully bring it to um, ground level and how it applies to our lives. Um, and also, I have, I have one more disclaimer before we get into it. Sometimes God, God's mercy looks completely different than what we think it should look like. And, in other words... Um, Ananias and Sapphira experienced the mercy of God. And you're like, wait a minute, Jeremy, but they, they dropped dead. There are worse fates to suffer than physical death. And in the presence of like the, the manifest power, the manifest presence of God, like they had in Acts chapter 5, 
you can't get away with things there that we can get away with now. And something had entered the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira, and they wanted to be counted worthy with the guys that were giving up everything. See, the story goes that, um, <clears throat> I forgot his name, but uh, one, of the, one of the members of the church sold his property and brought the whole amount before the church, laid it at the apostles' feet. And Ananias and Sapphira were like, oh, that's, that's a great idea. Let's go sell our property. But you know what? We've got some, we've got some debts and some, some bills to pay, so we're going to hold back some of it for us and not tell anyone, and everyone will think we're as cool as that guy that gave everything. And so what had happened, and what had, I guess had been birthed in their heart is, is a path that could have cost them not just their lives, but so much of their reward so much of their honor before the Father. See, I believe that Ananias and Sapphira were true, true believers. They had entered something, a, a, a lie, or a, they had entered very dangerous grounds, and the Lord took them before they could go further. Um, Bob Jones has talked about how there are men of God who've died before their time because they started to go down a slippery slope and the Lord couldn't let them lose any more of their reward, even, even their honor uh, on earth. He loved them too much, so he killed them, took them home. And that's completely outside of our, um, you know, Western mindset of, <laughs> of consequences and mercy. But that was the mercy of the Lord. Um. And Tracy uh, and I were speaking last night, and she helped me uh, to be able to put some language to um, something. And, and you know, when when Jesus <clears throat> demonstrated all of his gentleness and mercy, he came to wake up and, and open the eyes of a blind world. And once he did, <clears throat> we have um, you know the apostles who set up the church, and so Paul becomes a voice to the apostles. And you see, Paul, um, sometimes Paul, uh, he talks, he addresses situations with a little bit more hoofspah or a little bit more, <laughs> he, he speaks into situations very directly, like cast that person out of your community. I've already handed him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. You know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> it's because um, people that, have the ability to see are held to a higher standard than people who are blind. You know, blind people and people with sight have completely different problems. A lot of, or I should say, a lot of different problems. And what Jesus came is he opened the eyes of a blind world, said, here's the light, set up the church, and now blind people, or people who were once blind but now can see, they have to learn things that um, they had no ability to learn while they were blind. Just like, um, you know, it's not not polite to stare at people. Well, a blind person doesn't know that, but now he does. He's got to learn it. He's got to learn that lesson. 
a, a blind, someone's not going to get mad at a blind person for bumping into them, are they? You know, he's got that cane and, and he bumps into someone. Well, poor guy, he's blind. But once you have the ability to see, it's, you know, dude, look where you're walking. So they had to learn how to steward and walk in the, in the new level that they were brought into. Okay, that was all the disclaimer. <laughs> I realized that I haven't preached grace um, the way that Jesus preaches grace, uh, because when Jesus preached grace, um, stones were flying at him. He was accused of lawlessness. He was misunderstood and hated and put on a cross. See, Jesus was accused of a lot of things, but he was never accused of being religious. He was never accused of being traditional, was he? He said, you, I mean, they, they accused him of saying, whoa, slow down, Jesus. You're, you're going too far. Wait a minute. It can't be like that. It can't be that. All you have to do is believe. What about all, these, what about all the regulations? And Jesus is preaching grace and mercy to the point where um, the, the spirit of religion, the spirit of tradition wanted him killed. And guys, no servant is above his master. So <clears throat> I believe that we can rightly say that until we're occasionally treated the way that Jesus was treated, we're not preaching the message that Jesus preached. You guys agree with that? <clears throat> I know it sounds pretty crazy, but I don't feel like we've preached mercy and grace until we get to, until we get to uh, have the honor of partnering with Jesus' sufferings the way that he suffered when he preached mercy and grace. His life preached mercy and grace. Um, you know, with, uh, with Jesus, I believe that, well, I don't believe it, I know it. The Bible says that the core motivation of the Pharisees and the religious leaders was jealousy. Jealousy is actually what put Jesus on the cross. And if you start to think about like what in the world could they have been jealous of? I don't believe it was his devotion. I believe it was the freedom and power that he walked in because of his freedom. You know, the reason he was so free is because he didn't carry people around in his soul that he hadn't forgiven. You know how heavy you get when you hold people in that prison, in that chamber in your heart? People aren't going to be jealous of you if you're a bitter, gnarly dude, right? Right? They were jealous of Jesus because he was so stinking free and light, and they'd never seen anything like it. He didn't hold... <laughs> um, uh, don't let me get ahead of myself. <clears throat> they were accusing him day and night, but... Really, they, the only things that they could accuse him of were breaking their own rules. They were so jealous of him that they, they found a woman who was caught in adultery, dragged her naked out into the marketplace, and they were ready and willing to murder her to trap him. That's how powerful that jealousy is. It says in Proverbs that uh, anger is cruel, and, and don't let me misquote it either. Wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? 
Proverbs 27, 4. See, that jealousy, that religious mentality will actually trap and will actually murder someone in an attempt to trap you. We'll be so blinded to the suffering of someone else simply because they want to trap you. And that's what happened when they dragged that woman out before Jesus. <clears throat> and you know, the, um, that woman was caught in the very act of adultery, which seems like there should be some pretty serious consequences by, by the law of Moses. But was, you know, I mean, they, didn't even, they really didn't even follow the letter of the law because by the law of Moses, the man was supposed to be murdered too which shows that they didn't care anything about the law. They were just cared about trying to trap Jesus. So this woman who was caught in the very act of adultery, who should be suffering, should be suffering consequences, right? But who are the ones that stood condemned? The accusers. The ones that judged her. That's the only thing that Jesus spoke to in that moment. He didn't address. He didn't address that poor girl's situation. He didn't address the sin that she was caught in. Adultery is is not acceptable. But what he saw was something worse, which is that desire to judge. <clears throat> we have a very offensive freedom. We have this free salvation, this gift, this, uh, this transformation that um, we don't initiate and we don't complete, this sanctification that happens. Uh, it's it's the, the Philippians sanctification where it says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry it to the day of completion. So he who started is the one who's faithful to be the one who completes it, which means that your salvation is a gift and your sanctification isn't in your hands. How free is that? You can walk around and simply enjoy the life that Jesus has brought you into. That is going to offend some folks, I promise. <clears throat> from that place, works will flow from a place of love rather than a fear of punishment or a fear of loss. I have probably like three days worth of uh, teaching on mercy, and I'm trying to cram it into like the next 20 minutes. So excuse me if it looks like I keep jumping back to my notes, and I'm really listening to the Lord for what he wants me to say today. Um, but up until Jesus, justice was an eye for an eye. If you poke out my eye, I'm poking out your eye. If you... <laughs> If you accidentally or purposefully kill or steal one of my sheep, well, guess what, bro? You know, buddy? I'm taking lamb chop from your family. It was this equal exchange. <clears throat> and so murder would cost you your life, right? It all changed with Jesus because the very ones that were murdering him, he looked down from the cross and said, you're acquitted. You're free of those charges. In fact, God don't even remember it because they don't know what they're doing. And in that moment, justice shifted. And in that moment, <clears throat> something happened with, um, 
when we come into the fold with Jesus, when, when we're transformed, when faith enters our, our heart, so is the Holy Spirit. He actually changes our DNA. Our blood becomes the blood of Jesus. And when people wrong us, the Lord isn't looking to wrong them back. The Lord is, is saying, if you take the life of one of my servants, I'm going to, pl- I'm going to plunder hell of souls. If you take a physical life, I'm going to take a spiritual life. And a shift happened. And Jesus in his suffering was plundering hell. He was saying, the reward for my suffering is the souls that I desire. And it's the same with us now today, which is why we get to rejoice in suffering wrong. And we can look to to, to the Father and say, where's my reward? Where's the souls? Remember in, uh, in Genesis when um, God breathed into man, breathed into Adam's nostrils, he woke up and God, you know, shortly after that, commissioned Adam. He commissioned man and woman, you know, subdue the earth, or, or in other words, dominate, cultivate, commune, and multiply the four purposes of man. Dominate, cultivate, commune, and multiply. He breathed into him and gave him his commission. You know, the only, only other time in Scripture when, when God breathes directly onto man? John chapter 20. This is after Jesus' suffering, death, resurrection. It's before he ascends. Um, what he says to him is, This is John 20, verse 21 through 23. Jesus said to them, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. So, even so, now I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of anyone, they are retained. That's your new commissioning. Jesus actually said, as the Father has sent me, so now I'm sending you. It's not figurative. The Lord actually took me into a vision where he showed me um, Jesus standing before the Father before Jesus comes to earth, before he's born in a manger. Jesus, the Son, stands before the Father. The Father puts his arms on Jesus' shoulder and breathes on him and says, Son, whatever sins you forgive, I forgive. Whatever sins you retain, I retain. And he sent him, he said, go forgiving. And he's in the manger, he grows up in the midst of suffering and accusation. He takes on all the beating and the flogging and the hatred, and the whole time he's forgiving. He's the guy that turns the other cheek, and it's not it's some show of resolve. He's giving people a better shot so they don't break his knuckles on his cheekbone. He's saying, if you're looking for someone to hit, hit me. Because I'll forgive it. I'll take it. I'll wipe it from history. Don't hit them. I will show you. Just hit me. He walked around like a bottomless pit for offenses to fall out of history. He was erasing. He wasn't paying it forward. He wasn't paying it back. He was wiping it from the Father's memory. See, I used to think that 
forgiveness, I, you know, I can forgive any, anyone of anything because God's going to deal with them. That is not forgiveness. Jesus demonstrated real forgiveness. And the two, two of the keys that I see in that one phrase that he uttered from the cross is, they don't know what they're doing and don't hold it against them. That means that the very murderers of Jesus Christ, our love, the lover of our souls, the very ones that, the masterminds behind his murder, the ones that plotted, the, the, the very ones that hammered the nails through his hands and his feet, Jesus looked down at them and said, don't hold this against them. Meaning that when they stand before the Lord on judgment days, they may have a list of sins a mile long, but nowhere on there will you find murdering the Son of God because he wiped it from history. But you're like, wait a minute, that's not justice, Jeremy. It's the new justice. And the reason we have trouble believing it, the reason we have trouble accepting it is because we haven't fully recognized that we were the ones that put him on the cross. But if we stand here and realize that we were the ones that put the nail in his hands, then true gratefulness and thankfulness will rise up inside of us and we'll be able to live free from a works mentality. Jesus forgave the ones that put him on the cross so we will not walk in the revelation of his mercy until we realize that we were the ones that put him on the cross. And then it's really good news. And we're not thinking to ourselves, those guys should really pay for what they did. And then we're able to release people the same way. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, uh, in uh, Matthew 6.15, he said, uh, if you forgive, uh, sorry, let me just turn there. I'm not as cool as Jason Hooper. Wasn't that awesome how, it, like, the Bible, he was just, like, vomiting out the Bible. If, I, think that, I think that if we were to, like, go back through the tapes and write down every scripture, he quoted accurately on the spot without opening, you know, the, the, the Bible, it would be about, you know, one third of all of scripture just came out of him. Okay, this is Matthew six fourteen. If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. And so <clears throat> this is, a, a, uh, how do I say it? This is a figurative prison that Jesus is, is showing us that we have the choice to either forgive people and continue to walk free, or we can hold their sins against them and put ourselves into prison. So your father will not forgive you, which means that you will not be walking in aspects of his mercy on, in, on this side of his life. Well, Jeremy, what are aspects of his mercy? Well, it's not falling into a reprobate mind. It's having that continual sanctification. It's having communion you know, with, with the father. You, when you choose to hold people's sins against them, you step out of the full flow of his mercy and you step under this rusty old shed called the law. <clears throat> and a chapter before that, Jesus talks about how if you're offering your gift at the altar, this is uh, Matthew chapter five. 
Uh, 23, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the, in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. And I used to think that this is because God, uh, he desired unity, you know, like more, more than worship. And, you know, there is de- definitely an element of truth to that for sure. Uh, you know, that's uh, Psalm 133, how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like the oil flowing down the beard of Aaron. There's an element of the anointing that we're not going to step into until we're unified. But what Jesus is addressing in this chapter, he actually gives us a, a deeper understanding of in what I just read to you, which is 615. Your brother is in prison because he has something against you. You get to go release him. Stop worshiping. <laughs> It would be like coming to Hawes on a Sunday morning and the worship is just crazy anointed. Your hands are up in the air and the Lord whispers to you, the dude at the back of the room, uh, he's, he's got unforgiveness towards you because of something you said. He took it the wrong way. It might not even be your, your fault or it could very well be your fault, but what the Lord is saying is stop worshiping, go to your brother and give him a chance to get out of prison because your brother is in prison. Be Jesus and show him the way out. It means humbling ourselves because us being right is nowhere close to as important as our friends getting out of prison. You guys know the parable? Uh, actually, let me tell you this story. Uh, some of you have heard this story, but um, uh, some of you haven't. When I was 18 years old, I, I mean, I grew up in the church, Holy Spirit environment, loving it, Vineyard Church. My parents were just conference junkies. They were shot them high in my whole life. And <clears throat> when, I, when I turned 18 and, and you know, some, some months leading up to it, this spiritual pride entered my heart, and I was I was set up for a serious fall, and <clears throat> some of my, some friends that I worked with stole some cases of beer from the restaurant that we were at, and I had like a fifth of vodka. I don't even know where that thing came from, but um, <clears throat> it was all in my truck. It was Saturday night, I, and I was like this poster boy, you know, church kid who was kind of being groomed to take over the youth group. I played the guitar on state, led worship, just, you know... <clears throat> The, the poster boy. And so <laughs> I called up my buddies um, who were all, you know, believers as well. We grew up together in the youth group because they were my only friends. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> I was that guy. Um, and I said, guys, I've got all this beer and some vodka. Where are we going to drink it? It's Saturday night. It's time to party. And we couldn't drink it at anyone's house because, uh, you know, everyone is, you know, crazy Christian, like hardcore Christian, not crazy, excuse me. Um, <clears throat> and so I thought, you know what? I know how to break into the church. Let's just go throw a party in the church. It's a perfect place. It's a big open room. We can turn on the sound system real loud and just go for it. So we break into the church and throw basically a drunken kegger party in the sanctuary. Are you guys starting to understand why I have a grip on his mercy? We proceed to get hammered. A buddy of mine has never really drank before, and uh, he goes way over the limit. All we've been eating are like, 
just snack foods, you know, like a big bag of Doritos and, and whatever. And, and we're just partying and, and jumping around with the music blasting. And my buddy goes, oh. Vomits all over the nursery. And I'm not exaggerating when I say the pile was this big. It was pure orange, smelled like Doritos, bile, and vodka. Picture of sin as a dog returns to his vomit. Okay, there you go. Just gave you a visual for that verse. Okay. And so we're like, just watching this happen. Like, (laughs) he falls into it and rolls around, spreading it around like he's doing snow angels. Just really mashing it into the carpet. And so... We're, we, we pick him up and carry him through the church to the sink, lay him in the, like the bathroom sink with the water on his head, and we go back and assess the situation. We're gone as well, like just not in a uh, mental state to be able to fix this properly. And so we find all the rags that we can in the church, and we're just scooping this stuff up and throwing it in a trash can. And my buddy, who was helping me, goes... <laughs> Throws up as well. <laughs> it is compounding <laughs> the problem that I'm now in. <clears throat> I'm so, my wife is pregnant, like, I hate you right now. <clears throat> um, uh, okay, so we do as, as good a job as we can, we, you know, and we pile in my truck and we get out of there. And luckily, like, we didn't get in an accident, we didn't get pulled over or anything like that. We, we go home, hit the hit the bed hard. I sleep for a few hours before I wake up, and guess what? I'm on the worship team. I'm standing on stage leading worship drunk. Are you wondering, how in the world are you here, Jeremy? So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not drunk in the spirit. Um, <clears throat> and I cannot wait to get out of here because it's starting to turn into the hangover. And... Um, and so worship's done, I pack up my guitar and I head out, but, I, but first I want to go through the nursery to see what kind of job we did. You know, now there's daylight and, you know, some of that had worn off and I get in there and the smell poof, hits me like I walk into a wall and I have to like control myself again because my stomach is in a very iffy situation. And <clears throat> my close friend was doing the nursery this day. He was leading the nursery. So I look at him and I say, Dan, what's that smell? And he says, I don't know, Jeremy, but I'm so mad. He sat in this smell all through church service. And I was like, yeah, that stinks, Dan. I'm out of here. (laughs) I go home. What I don't know is that one of the guys that I partied with calls up Dan that afternoon and says, dude, you should have been there last night. We had so much fun. And then Chuck puked in the nursery, and it was just crazy. And Dan's like, "Mm mm-hmm. He's getting furious because not only did I lie to him, but I didn't invite him to the party. And, <laughs> and so Dan is one of my best friends. And what he does is he goes straight to the pastor and he says, that mess in the, in the nursery, it was Jeremy. And just outs me. <clears throat> and I find out about it. And in order to try to save whatever kind of reputation I have, 
I decide I better go confess to the pastor so maybe he thinks that I don't know that he already knows. <clears throat> Just being honest. <clears throat> and so I, I, I tell him, and I say, um, I'm so sorry. It was me. And he, he, uh, I'll never forget what he said. He looks at me and he says, Jeremy, I was furious about that. Because you're at a stage in your life where you're going to make decisions that can very well affect the rest of your life, either for good or for bad. And he said, but I want you to know that I completely forgive you. You won't have to pay for the carpet to be clean. I won't tell anyone in the church. I won't take away any of your responsibilities. This is a clean slate. I walk out of there completely forgiven in the eyes of my church. In fact, the rest of the leadership team never found out that it was old Jeremy. To this day, I had to tell my parents. Uh, (laughs) um, My poor parents, all the things I've told them after I've come to the Lord. Um, I go directly from that meeting with my pastor to Dan, and I say, Dan, what you did is inexcusable. I can't believe you ratted me out. Our friendship is over. You will never hear from me again. I acted out. What parable? Anybody? Anybody? So there's one servant who, if you're if you to read this parable, I've got it in my notes, but um, I just want to paraphrase it. The only way that he could have gotten so much money from his master is he was either extorting it or just straight up, he was stealing it. He's, he's got a million dollar debt. Let's just call it a million dollar debt to his master or his boss or whatever. And he, and he goes to him because the master's calling in the debt, he falls at his falls on his knees, falls at his master's feet and says, give me time, forgive me, I'm, I'm gonna, and, and I'll pay back this debt, just give me time. But the master knows there's no way this servant can pay back all that he owes him. And so in mercy, the master excuses the whole debt. Million dollars, gone. That servant goes out of that meeting, grabs a fellow servant <clears throat> by the neck and says, you pay me the debt that you owe me. And this servant owes him maybe 5,000, 10,000 bucks. Grabs him by the neck, pay me every penny. And that servant falls at the first servant's feet and says the same words, give me time and I'll pay you back. For, you know. And the wicked servant says, no, I'm throwing you into jail and, and you're not getting out until either you or your family pays every penny that you owe me. And so the master finds out, calls the wicked servant back in and says, you wicked servant, I forgave you of a million dollars and you couldn't forgive you know, Bob of 5,000. It's your turn to go to prison. And that guy entered the prison of Matthew 6.15. He was removed from the mercies of God because he removed someone else from mercy. One time the Holy Spirit whispered to me and he said, it's better that injustices fall on you than unbelievers, Jeremy. And I was like, "Uh, that sounds awful. Can you you kind of show this to me somehow? And... um, 
But I started to understand it when I look at Jesus. He was the one wanting the offenses thrown on him. He wanted to demonstrate how to take offenses out of history. And so I go from hearing the Holy Spirit, and that night I go out on a date. It's not really a date because we had Samuel and my son with us. Um, But we go to to Addison, and I think it's like a couple days before um, Valentine's Day. And so these restaurants were packed. We went to BJ's, the pizza and brewery. It's such good pizza. Um, And it's connected to all these other uh, restaurants. And so there's a huge parking lot, but every spot is taken. I circle the parking lot like two times before I'm like, I'm just going to let you out at the front door, Ashley. And so I parked right up by the front door, and um, my family was getting out. We were unhooking Judah, and Samuel was getting out. And right by the front, I see in my rearview mirror someone backing out of a prime parking spot. I'm like, glory to God. I put on my backup lights to indicate that I'm going to back up and my turn signal indicating that I'm going to back up into that spot as soon as it is vacated. But what happens is five seconds later, along comes a guy from the other direction. He stops and he turns on his blinker too. I'm like, "Mm mm-mm, you didn't. (laughs) So now we have two bulls (laughs) fighting for the same gate. Uh, And... And so I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this guy backing up. I'm like, Jesus, make him back out in the right direction so that I can just zip in there real quick, be the justice of God. And so <clears throat> he gets out of that parking spot, the, the right direction for me to just back in there real quick. But as I'm, as I'm backing in, I've pretty much fully got my car into the parking spot. And the guy from the other direction hits his gas and speeds his car straight at my front bumper and slams on his brake inches away from my car, rolls down his window as I'm getting out, and here comes the flood of profanity. I mean, this guy is questioning the legitimacy of my birth, my sexual orientation. He is just throwing it all out there in front of my wife, Samuel. My son is in her arms, and that that man thing is just rearing up in me. And I'm like, do I have a baseball bat in my car? This guy needs a broken knee. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm thinking, how big is this guy? Can I take him? What's going to be my response in this situation? <clears throat> and, and I just say to him, sir, apparently I was here first. Had my blinker light on. Back, you son of a... And he's just unloading. He's like, <clears throat> just foul. And so I just decide there's, there's nothing that good that can come of this. And I start walking towards the door. He engages the gas again and lurches his car at my leg, stops inches away from my knee. And I'm just, you know, the stare down has begun. My blood pressure is through the roof. And I'm really thinking it's, it's go time. But I just continue to walk towards the door while he's just hurling insults on me. We get inside. Ashley was there. She can attest to this. I couldn't even speak once I got inside. I was so furious. And we got our table and sat down. It was 10, 15 minutes of me just fuming. Nothing good was going to come out of my mouth if I opened it. And then the Lord said, he whispered, it's better 
that injustices fall on you than on the unbeliever. It broke the power of the offense, and I realized, had I been an unsaved man in that situation, it would have ended up on the nighttime news. Someone would have gone to the hospital. And so what I did is I said, Lord, that man didn't know what he was doing. And the Lord actually began to show me the wound of his heart. I started interceding for him. I said, don't hold it against him. I release him. Let this be the mercy that breaks into his life. I'm going to wrap things up with this last story. There's a man from the Bible that demonstrated this perfectly. In fact, other than Jesus, um, his name is Stephen. Stephen, uh, in Acts chapter 7, he goes from being like a waiter to a miracle worker, uh, an uneducated man to a man with so much wisdom flowing out of him that the most studied people in the world could not stand up against the wisdom that's coming out of Stephen. The Holy Spirit's on him. His face is shining like an angel, and he's still in the... He's in that same crowd that Jesus was surrounded by, those, those jackals ready to tear him apart, you know, stones in their hands. And <clears throat> right before the stones start flying, what happens with, with Stephen? The heavens open, he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, and he, he expresses, he, he, he talks about what he sees. And then the religious spirit, we actually see those guys plug their ears, and shout. What group of people do that today? (laughs) Congress. That's a whole, whoa. (laughs) Kids. La, 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 la. I'm not listening, I'm not listening. These grown men get so consumed by this spirit of foolishness that they act like children and rush him and start stoning him. And, um, and while Stephen is dying, it says that, um, that the, 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 the people in this mob were laying down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And Saul was like the, the leader of the religious day. He was the the, the he was like the most studied. He was like the up-and-coming awesome guy, you know, studied under Gamaliel. 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 <clears throat> and so he's like this rabbi of rabbis, and, and he is actually giving approval to the, to the mob. He controlled this mob. They were all looking to him. And he's saying, yes, kill him. He's like the godfather, and take him out. And so Stephen, while he's dying, he echoes the words of his love, and he says, don't hold this against them. And he wakes up in the arms of the Lord. He falls asleep, and he wakes up in the arms of the Lord. What happens 44 verses later? Saul is ransomed out of the kingdom or out of the domain of darkness because of the sacrifice of Stephen. Stephen died so well that it cost the enemy his best.
we have to realize that um, we're, we're no longer our own. We were bought at a price. Um, and our new commission is to let people off the hook. Our new commission we received when Jesus breathed on us. The only other time that God breathed directly on man, gave him the commission, we have to start walking in it. It is our highest calling because it's going to be what ransoms people out of the domain of darkness. We get to partner with Jesus in this suffering in order to advance his kingdom. This is why we've entered a season of stripping and flogging. Because as we respond well, harvest. All the martyrs that are standing before the throne of God right now, the ones that are talked about in Revelation, they're saying, how long until you grant us justice? How long until you give us vengeance, Lord? These people that were murdered unjustly, these people, these, these saints that fell at the hands of the enemy are crying out to God, but they're not crying out, give us earthly vengeance. They're not saying eye for an eye. They're not saying they hurt us, God. How, why, why aren't you hurting them? What they're crying out is, where are my souls? Where is the reward for my suffering? Jesus' blood flowed through my veins and hit the ground, just like Jesus on the cross when the graves opened up and the dead came out. Where are the dead that are coming to life, God? This is what we get to partner with him in. This is why mercy is so powerful. Second Corinthians 5, 16 through 21 says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, which is what we talked about last week. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, gosh, you don't know what spirit you're of. He didn't attack them or their character. He attacked the spirit that they had been bamboozled by. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. How did Christ reconcile the world to God? Laying down his life and forgiving so well. He died so well that God had to honor his request. And the world was reconciled. How do we reconcile people to Christ? Sometimes we're the whipping post. Sometimes we have to die just like Jesus. I'm not talking about just physically. Some of us will be counted, you know, some of us will actually get to partner with Christ like that. But I'm talking about dying daily, letting people wrong us and letting them off the hook. It is so counter modern psychology. It's so, you're, you're, Jeremy, you're letting people be doormats. No, I'm letting people become portals. It's what Jesus did for us. Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Meaning Jesus isn't dying anymore. But someone is. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, 
not counting their trespasses against them. It wasn't on his list. It didn't appear. It was just wiped away. He wasn't counting them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So how does this hit our lives? Jesus is the exact representation of the Father, right? This is something I heard from Bill Johnson one time that's rocked my world ever since I heard it. Did Jesus ever bless a storm and direct it at a stubborn people? You ever see that? Did Jesus... (laughs) I'm tiptoeing here. Um... when difficulties come on nations and people groups and our neighbors and uh, you know, the Muslims down the street or that religious church down the way, often Christians are the first to say, justice of God. It's a good thing, too, because if you know, they went any further, who knows what could happen. God is teaching them a lesson Jesus never blessed a storm and directed it at a stubborn people to teach them a lesson. What father on earth would take sickness and plant it in his son to teach him a lesson? That man would end up in prison. (laughs) He'd be the worst father ever. But we we say that God is directing. There, There are times... And believers, well-meaning Christians will actually say God is directing this tragedy on this people to teach them a lesson instead of saying, God, mercy. Instead of standing up and saying, that storm was made by a swirl of demons and I curse it and I command the death to come out of that storm. I don't care if you're approaching New York. I don't care if you're approaching the most licentious section and the most filled with greed section of America. I don't care. I take the death out of that storm. And Sandy, you back down. Because I'm a minister of mercy. When people are wronging us, this should help change the perspective and say, thank you, God, you're counting me worthy. You must think very highly of me that I get to partner in your sufferings. That's it. They don't know what they're doing, Jesus. Let them off the hook. Let's stand up. We're going to let people out of the prison today. Worship team, come on up. Who's ready to let people out of the prison? Seriously. I would venture to say that everyone in here has someone that they're um, still hoping God would teach a lesson to. 
This is a, uh, this is a day of repentance. It is get out of jail free day. <laughs> this is the monopoly day. You just cash in that card and you get out of jail and you enter back into the full flow of his mercies because a lot of us have stuck ourselves underneath that, that rusted shed called the law where we're still trying to exact a payment from someone who's wronged us. Now, the Holy Spirit's here right now. I feel like what he's going to do is just hover over us. He's going to whisper to us. He's going he's to show people's faces in our mind's eyes. He's going to say, you can let them go now. So Holy Spirit, ask that you would, you would grant the same power to us that Christ walked in, that same power of forgiveness right now, Jesus. You say, Lord, those, those guys didn't know what they were doing when they slandered me. They didn't know what they were doing when they launched that attack. They didn't know what they were doing when they stole from me. They didn't know what they were doing, God. They're confused and tricked by the Spirit, the God of this world that's blinded their eyes. We ask God for mercy on them. Father, we extend mercy to our parents. We extend mercy to our mayors, our governors, and our president. We extend mercy to them. God, and I ask that you wouldn't hold their sins against them. Father, we wanna be rightly related to your authority on earth. So we forgive our parents, we forgive our mayors, we forgive our governors, we forgive our president. And we say, God, let, let this pave a road of grace to knock them off their donkey, just like Saul. We ask that this would become an encounter for them that this would become an encounter for them, God, that they would be transformed as your blood hit the ground and you transformed us. Let them be transformed by this mercy in this moment, God. We let them off the hook completely.